Welcome to the Gridiron Show. We're taping this on a Tuesday afternoon. I'm the managing editor of Gridiron, Ollie Conley, joined by our lead feature writer, Cy Clancy. Cy, how are you? Good, Ollie. How are you? I'm doing good. There's no Will today. Will is off sunning it up somewhere in, in New York, I believe. Yeah, I mean, we literally only found out about two hours before we were recording that he's uh, <laughs> he's living the dream in the Big Apple, but you know, it's all good. It's all good. So today's show, we're going to get into a feature piece you wrote for the Upland Magazine. It's the draft edition of the magazine that will be on newsstands, I believe, in about a week's time. Uh, digital and physical for people will be in the mailbox of subscribers by some point next week, it looks like. And I must say, before we get to the main topic of today, which will be Kayvon Thibodeau, who you've written a piece on for the upcoming draft magazine we have to start with this saints eagles trade which as a magazine editor the day before you go to print to have your <laughs> your draft edition just hammered by harry roseman coming in with the hammer to make a big trade first of all you're like oh my god everything is ruined and then you're like well at least they did it today and not tomorrow when it would have been a complete disaster so i think we should start with this saints eagles trade before we get into some pass first talk the eagles trade the 16th and 19th pick in the upcoming draft, send that to the Saints. They get the 18th back in return. They get a 2023 first rounder next year, and they get a bunch of ancillary picks too. What was your first thoughts when the trade came down? Yeah, it was an, another win for Harry Roseman, essentially, who uh, I always think he tends to get the better of GMs in trades. And I say that as somebody who uh, had to watch us trade back up to get Jalen Waddle as a Dolphins fan last year and give up that, that extra first rounder this year. But, I mean, he basically traded what looks like the 16th pick in this year's draft, which is a, to all intents and purposes, a sort of middle of the road draft class for a third rounder, a 2023 first and a 2024 second, which seems pretty lopsided, especially when you throw in then some of the other ancillary picks. I mean, I saw Joe Banner tweet last night. I'm just trying to find it here. Um, he said it was one of the most lopsided trades I've seen in a long time. The one, the two, and the three the Saints gave up for the 16 was enough that they could have used it to trade for almost any NFL star player, not a quarterback, and still had picks left over. Instead, they all they got was a mid-first rounder. Absolutely crazy. So, but what's wild yeah. from the Saints' perspective is to do it this early, unless you're leaping up like the RG3 style one, where you go all the way to two, or the Wentz deal the Eagles made, unless you're going all the way up into the top five, to make it this early when you could offer that package round on draft day, if they know they want someone, if that move is to get a quarterback, if it's where they think the last of their like elite defensive players are on the board, why would you not wait and pinpoint exactly who it is and where they are? Why would you do it three weeks out to get to that specific spot? It does seem very odd. Everything about it from the Saints perspective seems very odd. And it's, I, I kind of feel like, I mean, I don't know what you think. Who do you think they're targeting? Because, do you think they're trying to get into the left tackle? Situation? I think I think like Raymond they... Raymond is right on that cusp, right? When you speak yeah. to people in the league, some of them consider Raymond being the fourth tackle, right? Right in the elite class. They love him just as much as, as the main guys everyone knows about. And then other teams, they have a pretty clear separation. He's the third guy. And it's like, where did he land? And that's what I'm talking about is if they view him as he's our fourth guy, there's little displacement between Neil Aquano and um, Cross. Well, wait till draft day and find out whereabouts he is. Maybe you've got to go to nine to go get him then. You know, if all those guys rip off the board right away. Yeah, I, I just find it so puzzling. It must purely be they finalized their draft board and they've said, we've got 16 guys we love plus wherever they have the QBs in that discussion. We expect Willis and Pickett at this stage probably to go higher than people expect because there's going to be a run on quarterbacks. Carolina will panic and then someone will try and move up after the Carolina panic. So we think we can get one of our elite guys at that spot. That is the only plausible way, but I just don't get the price tag. 
It's such no, a bizarre price tag when your quarterback is James Winston. I know. But if they if they want one of those tackles, and I get that there is a bit of difference. Like I have cross ahead of I have cross at the top actually, um, in terms of how I see them. But even if you look at the sort of the second tier of the first tier with Ryman and Trevor Penning. Does Mickey Loomis think that five left tackles are going to go between one and sixteen? Because even that, that you know, even for me in a fairly strong offensive, you know, in terms of in terms of a strong line year, in terms of both offensive and defensive lines, I still can't think that five left tackles are going to go off the board before before fifteen uh, before sixteen, unless they you know there's only three of those guys that they really like or four of them, and they they're not high on Ryan, or they're not high on Penning, or they're not high on Cross or whatever, but. Yeah, I'm just, um, I, I, it's a very confusing trade for me. Same with the defensive stuff. You know, if they say to themselves, we've done our player reval and we just love Ajabo. You know, we think Ajabo is one of the 10 best players in the class, but we reckon he's going to slip because of the Achilles injury. Well, wait till draft night, find out where he goes. Maybe he slips all the way down to you. Maybe you only have to leap a, a little bit and all those ancillary picks without throwing in the extra first round pick become the package you need to move up two or three spots. It's, it seems like such a heavy price. And it's interesting because there's been tons of rumors about teams moving around this board, right? There's a bunch of teams with two first round picks, a couple of them until the Eagles, they, they were going back to back. So where would they kind of shift their chess pieces to jump around? And because you have a draft class where nobody loves the quarterbacks and you've got so many good defensive players that people are going to have just have the guy they like. So they're going to try and manipulate their draft position, whether that's up or down, to just get their guy in the slot they, they feel it's worth. It's a really odd, oddly high price, I feel like. It shouldn't yeah. cost that much to move a couple of spots, and there should be things committed on, on, on draft night, really. I just don't understand the conversation either that they must have had in terms of, I can understand from the Eagles point of view, because Roseman's now positioned themselves in, in a really great spot, which is that they have still have two first rounders this year. And then obviously Jalen Hurts just feels like a one year rental now. And much like Tua Tungavalo in Miami, it's kind of, you've got a year to prove yourself. And if not, then we know that coming down the pipe potentially are, are these big names that we talked about last year. And you've still got two first round picks in 2023 where you can make a deal, plus all those extra ancillary picks that that we've talked about. Same with the Dolphins, who've got an extra third rounder next year for, for Devontae Parker this week with a trade to New England. And, and that that to me is smart. I just I just don't see it from the Saints' point of view. And I actually wanted to look at the Saints news for the New Orleans newspaper this morning. I haven't had time to, but I don't think the reaction is going to be overly thrilling uh, in terms of how the fan base and the media are taking that one. And it's a funny one because now when draft night comes, whoever they get there, they'll say, oh, yeah, that's why we move. We move specifically for that person. It's like you have no idea, you know, uh, 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 I don't know, a fortnight ago, Devin Lloyd, who I have as the, the top linebacker in the class, he, you're looking at maybe he could be in that range. He sat, he was perfect for what the Eagles wanted, right? Won those three picks. You're looking at 16 there. And now you wake up this morning to mock drafts with people who are ludicrously plugged in and the Giants being the Giants because they're the New York football Giants. So I never forget that they're going to take a middle linebacker at number five overall in 2022 <laughs> because no matter who's running the show, that's what the New York football Giants do. And it's like, OK, so maybe they didn't move up to go and get Devin Lloyd, I guess, because he might not even be there. So it is such a strange thing to, to, to make that move for to that spot at this stage. I find it bizarre um, mm. for the Eagles. Okay. I think you're right there. So they get that package, right? And it's next year. We're going to go and get ourselves. We're going to move up in the draft to wherever we want, essentially. We've got all the picks in the world. We'll move up in the draft to go and get who we want, Bryce Young, whoever it is. Or they go and get 
whatever one-to-way quarterback is available next offseason, which I know you're circling Lamar Jackson most likely in Miami there because everyone seems to be circling Lamar <laughs> Jackson at this point, and you just get your, your trade package together there. And that makes sense from a long-term perspective, but I still, I'm, I, I don't know, it's one of those ones where it makes sense with the head, but with my heart, I'm a little bit disappointed because I just feel like three first-round picks all in the same range. I just think it's such a stacked defensive class and you're going to have two quarterbacks go where they should not go based on talent, right? So you just concertina those those defensive players a little bit further down the board. One of those fourth linemen is probably going to go on the offensive side of the ball. Once again, you kick one of those defensive players down and they have needs at all three levels and they could have gone and got themselves McDuffie at corner, um, Lloyd perhaps at linebacker or Dean, and then go and get whichever edge rusher you want. And that's just having some fun. And all of a sudden you've got three new pieces at every single level to really build out a strong defensive core there. So I, I get it, but I just, if I was them, I'd have just stayed in this draft class because I just think it's loaded defensively. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I think if you you look at that and you come out of this draft, if you're um, if you're Harry Roseman, and I and I I completely understand the wisdom of what they've done, but you can also flip it and say, you know, you come out of this with Devin Lloyd, you know, George Karlaftis, and let's say, you know, let's say Derek Stingley falls to them because mm-hmm. of some of the off-field issues and some of the in, you know the inconsistent play and, and and the injuries. You know, that's a hell of a haul to take into a you know to take into a training camp when you've got three studs at all three levels that are going to help out the, that defensive unit. Um, so I can see the wisdom from both sides, and uh, you know, as a pure draft fan, I'd love to. <laughs> I just want the picks, you know. I want, to, I want those players, but I can see why you do it. I just, um, it's going to take me a long time to get my head around what the Saints are are doing, especially. You know, I understand that you bring Jameis back, and but you're bringing him back not you're bringing him back out of necessity because there's really nobody else, and you're sort of making a statement that because it doesn't feel like that they're moving that this move is for a quarterback. I, I mean. No, they would have to have unbelievable intel to say, we want Pickett, which would be a disastrous move for everyone involved. (laughs) And we know no one else likes Pickett. There's no way to do that. It sounds like Pickett's going to go in the top 10. And I I imagine you'd have to get to nine to go get him. I think Atlanta's hanging out there. What, day eight? I can't remember off the top of my head. That's the spot. That's probably the Pickett spot if you want to trade into, which good luck to you and your family doing that deal. Good God, I would be running out of town immediately, which I believe Kevin Colbert's going to do, right? Draft Kenny Pickett. run for the hills immediately <laughs> so, <laughs> so there's no way that you i mean you say it's a 60 and then say okay then we're gonna we're gonna be the team who takes matt corral you know we're gonna do this thing we're gonna be that side we're gonna do the josh allen thing over here and it's like well you could have just done that where you were why did yeah. you have to make a move i know to do that. they're the team i want more than any in the league to release their trade value chart because they did the Davenport deal that was just bonkers. It was so unnecessary to move. They could have just took him anywhere. They've done this deal now. I don't know how they value things that obviously their contract structure is just insane. So it just, it is nice to have a team now because everyone's so smart and they're all online. And we always talk about, as we did last week on the show, they all played Madden growing up and all the OCs are 30 years old and what have you. And they're all smart, you know, offensive gurus or what have you. Having just the one outlier out there where it's like, who knows what New Orleans is going to do this year? Yeah. They're just going to somehow <laughs> find some cap space and they're, they're going to throw four draft picks at you to move up a spot. It's like, I mean, it's nice to have a lot the fact that they managed to remove 88 million pounds worth of cap space didn't actually do the sting, didn't cut a single player and then signed Marcus May and somebody and Jameis Winston. You just think, how are you doing? And, and I'm certain they were in the conversation to re-sign Terrell Armstead as well and try yeah. to make that figure work. It's just like, 
that they must have some creative geniuses in the um in the financial department. But yeah, is Mickey Loomis still running them and the Pelicans at the same time? I can't remember. That's maybe, maybe he got the budgets rather wrong. Maybe he's got like the, <laughs> the value chart is different for the Pelicans than it is yeah. for the Saints. He's like, oh yeah, I've traded into the draft lottery. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> have you? Yeah. Very um, funny. That's an interesting one. All right, let's get to some uh, Kayvon Thibodeau talk because I asked you to write a piece for this upcoming draft magazine, which was just with the generic idea of our NFL teams overthinking Kayvon Thibodeau because heading into the season, he had a monopoly on the first overall pick in the draft. It was, doesn't matter who's picking where, we know none of these quarterbacks are good. It's going to be Kayvon Thibodeau. It's a Miles Garrett type year. Then he has kind of a funky season and still he, you know, holds strong there at the top of draft boards until right around probably the semifinal of the college football playoff where Aiden Hutchinson is so good. It becomes a debate about how great they are as opposed to being a knock on one or the other. And then as we work through the draft process, you see from people who are more inside the game than outside the games, people who are just watching the games, watching the film or watching on TV are going, this guy's pretty special. And then those connected to front offices start saying, hold on a second, we've heard some dodgy intel, we're not so sure, this guy sounds like he's got a brain that's not allowed in the NFL. <laughs> he starts slipping down the draft board. So he reads I asked, books. <laughs> yeah, he reads uh, books. Uh, he's a wise uh, one. Uh, Is he wearing glasses on the bus? Yeah, sounds exactly. like one of them. So I asked you, you to write this. Chef, piece. You say? Yes. <laughs> I asked you to write this piece, not knowing whether our thoughts kind of aligned on this. Um, and I've obviously read through it and people can go, can go and read it uh, from next week. What are your general thoughts on this kind of, uh, can we call it a saga? Is it a Thibodeau saga? He's not, he's not a loud enough person to have made a saga himself, but I feel like he's deserving of having a saga. Is he having this strange under the radar character assassination? I feel like for a guy who has done nothing, but he's just a baller. Yeah, I mean, and the thing is, when you talk about old character and everybody thinks all, you know, arrest sheet and, you know, it must have been in trouble and smoked weed and this, that, and the other. I mean, this is the, this is the archetypal high character kid, you know, 3.8 GPA. He essentially picked his school based solely not on, um, you know, how he could get to the NFL, but what he could do after he played football. Um, and I think football was in, in many ways as important as it is to him, was in many ways a means to an end. He wanted a career in law. He wanted potentially a career in broadcast journalism. Um, he went and sat for hours with the, the head of the broadcast journalism um, school as part of, uh, at Oregon and talked about his kind of, what the teachers, and I talked about it in the piece, but the teachers called his creative confidence in terms of um, what he wants to do with his life, where he sees himself. And I think over the years, I mean, even when he went to Oregon, he was different and by different, highly intelligent, incredibly well-read. He was a guy who knelt um, to support social justice campaigns during his high school uh, career uh, and was very vocal about the reasons why and the fact that nobody would shut him down. He has an opinion. He has a voice. He has a platform and he understands that platform and how to use it. Um, and I think that the NFL, as you and I both know, Elliot, the NFL is scared of is scared of different. They don't want creative confidence from players. They want people who will toe the line, turn up at a certain time, do what they're supposed to, go home, focus on, you know, on learning the playbook, focus on scheme, focus on getting better. And I think Kayvon has had, um, uh, and the, the NIL situation has certainly helped so many athletes and rightly so. But what it's done for him is that it's been able to sort of catapult him. He's worked with Nike. He's worked with, um, he's got his own cryptocurrency. He's got all sorts of things, business and lifestyle interests, whether that's fashion, shoes, all these sorts of things away from the game. And I think the NFL has slightly sort of 
you know, reeled back a little bit in terms of, oh, okay, you know, is this really what we want to deal with? Coupled with the fact that, you know, he got injured early in the year. He played through the injury, generally had a couple of games off. I think he had seven sacks last year, played well, but didn't play brilliant, didn't set the world on fire. And all the time, obviously, Aiden Hutchinson is is turning in his kind of um, outstanding year that, that that potentially could have won him the Heisman. And then as we got to the to the senior bowl, when I was at the senior bowl, I talked to a couple of scouts about him, especially specifically a West Coast scout who'd scouted and been around him for years and said, you know, the kid is different. He is interested in stuff away from football. He has a, you know, and I think you go back and look at Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen had an interest in stuff away from football. Josh Rosen came from money. He was very interested in banking. He was very interested in a lot of other things. And I think, you know, quite apart from his talent, I think teams looked at that in a slightly sort of, oh, and Arizona kind of got burned by it. Miami got burned by it, but giving up the second rounder. And I think teams are worried that, you know, this other stuff, this kind of brand Thibodeau, which isn't a, a real thing, it's not something, you know, you can put your, you know, you can't go and buy a t-shirt or a hoodie, but it's a, a, a thing in which he wants to build his life away from the game and have something to fall. You know, if he tears his ACL or you know, has a terrible injury in game one in the NFL, he wants to know that he's got something for the rest of his life when he's 23, 24. Um, so we got to the senior bowl and there were scouts saying, you know, there are some concerns just you know, what, what is he, what does he want to do? What does he want to get out of life at the, at the combine Peter King reported that he'd spoken to a general manager who said that Thibodeau was a, a, a me guy. I spoke to a couple of different scouts, actually one from each conference after that or front office people after that. And they both said that they were in meetings with him and he was a little bit more uh, I than us or a little bit more me than us, which had been a concern. And then he rocked up at the at the combine uh, workouts, having said that he was going to do everything, and then ran the forty, and then decided he was tired and flew home. And I, I think that put teams' backs up, and they were like, "Well, what what are you doing? Why are you hiding? What what's you know the interview process wasn't amazing." And you often start to hear, and then you start to talk to people as you you do as well, or you hear people talking about, um, you know, this guy had a great interview. I can you know I, I spoke to a an AFC scout who told me that Carson Strong, Spencer Burford, these guys were fantastic interviews, both at the um, both at the Senior Bowl and at the Combine. And you, then you start to hear about guys who perhaps weren't quite as good, who weren't good on the board or who came across as cocky or as arrogant. And I don't think he comes across as either of those. He just comes across as very intelligent, very bright. He asks a lot of questions. And I think that probably scares people. And then at the, at the Pro Day, the Oregon Pro Day, he was, you know, he. I suppose in a way he lacks the humility that comes with, you know, somebody slightly more mature, slightly, not mature, slightly older, I suppose. He's just very forthright. And he talked about how outrageous he was that, you know, he he blamed the media for saying that he had a didn't have a great work ethic because that's been a bit of a, a conversation as well. Yeah, he does take plays off. You look at tape, you look at tape, he runs around some tackles, he runs, he stands by some piles, he, you know, he doesn't always um, you know, get involved as much as you'd kind of like. And you look at Hutchinson, who's kind of the antithesis of that, who's in, you know, involved in absolutely everything. And you kind of compare the two as uh, as you have to. And then he said at the pro day, you know, the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard is that I'm not the best player in the draft. To me, that's outrageous. And you get, you get the confidence. That's great. But you just pile that on top of all the other bits and you can, you see why he's worked. But fundamentally, he's a really good player. And fundamentally, this comes down to the fact that we now over obsess about the draft to the, such a degree that in the NFL, this 365 day a year thing where it tries to take over, you know, March Madness is going on, but 
NFL yep. trades and free agency, Deshaun Watson and Tyreek Hill, that, that's kind of overshadowed pretty much college basketball and start the baseball season and all those sorts of things. So this NFL monopoly where we have to break everything down to the nth degree is kind of, but it will be interesting to see, you know, he is, he is a very good player. I don't think he's a great player. I don't think he's a generational player, but I think he's probably a better player than people are talking about in terms of maybe the character assassination and he might fall out of the top 10 because of it or he might go second overall we just yeah, yeah it, it's i think it's a really interesting i don't know where you stand on it but i think it's a really interesting situation that, that the league finds itself in it's a fascinating dynamic i think the stuff with him was so poisonous so early on where it's like where did this come from because this was not an ongoing conversation you know if, if you're in any other walk of life and as a high schooler you said i'm going to oregon because i know i'm amazing at this thing i do and that gets me access to phil knight and getting access to phil knight sets me for life right that's an incredibly clever chess move at that age right you would not knock someone that would be a like wow this kid is really switched on he gets it he knows that he's got to walk into these rooms to do the things he wants to do in life which is uh you know the brand Thibodeau stuff the money side of things and then also the social justice stuff i think is a real thing with him and that doesn't seem like a negative at all. It's like, well, get me to the powerful man who can help me shape Nike's strategy to really combat social justice rather than just do ad campaigns. That so seems wait, like- wait, Kayvon, you want you want a better society for all? That's, <laughs> yeah. definitely, a, that's definitely a minor. Slide him down the board. Is, look, I, you know, I've studied like 300 players in depth for this draft. Mm-hmm. And I can give you 15 or 20 who've got who've done really shitty things, terrible arrests and all sorts of stuff. You know, I, was, I was literally doing Dare Rosenthal, the, the Kentucky left tackle today, the, the LSU transfer was kicked out of LSU. And you just think there's an awful lot in your past, but you know, you've got upside for days, but it feels like the bad guys in inverted commas in the draft are not being assassinated nearly as much as Thibodeau is, who seems like a generally a great guy with some, maybe some, like, I don't know what he, I can't even put my finger on what the word is that he has or hasn't. It, it's it's very interesting. I just think he's just a clever, nuanced individual. The NFL does not go for nuance. They ain't having any of it. And that their relation to non-quarterback thinkers has long been toxic. And that is often a racial component, unless yeah. you're a center. Um, and to me, I, you know, I watch him and t- I think he's the best pure pass rusher in the class only because he beats people clean. And I think that the, the plays off stuff is somewhat true, but once you start going through the snap counts, the two of them played, the tempo was so much quicker in the Pac-12 last year. It's one of the, the, the final turbocharged conferences. You know, everything now is checked with me, so they're not huddling, but it's not very fast. The, the Pac-12 is still fast. And they dropped him into coverage, such a preposterous amount for someone who is shit at dropping into coverage. It's really peculiar. And just pure get off and dip. That's all I really need from pass rusher, right? I want them to convert speed to power. I want them to win inside, outside. I love if they can be a masher in the stunt game. I love if they can set a hard edge in the run game. But the only principal thing you need from this fella is on obvious passing downs, can you beat a guy out of his stance? And he beats people clean, unlike anyone else in the draft, because he can just dip a little better than everyone. And his get off is just as good as everyone else's. So it, yeah. At that point, it's like, who cares what, what his thoughts are when he goes home? It's like, yes, I get if your quarterback is into poetry and dinosaurs, like Miles Garrett, maybe you're like, can you please get on the whiteboard a little bit? But Miles Garrett's the best example, right? Like, yes, he spends other times reading Proust. Cool, right? <laughs> on the bus, you know, he's reading whatever you want him to read, Nietzsche. 
but then he gets on we the field. We didn't do this about Garrett, did we? I mean, no, Von Miller got this with his chicken farm. Yeah, Von got it. He got it. That's the one it reminds me of the most. And a lot of that was like everyone in, in nine to 12 dumping on someone, like really strange background research to get him to fall. And I thought this was the situation initially with Thibodeau was like, oh, these teams at four, five, and six are going to hammer this guy through the media in the hopes that they can run up to the podium as soon as he slips to them. But as we get closer, I'm not so sure. I think there's a real thing with him. I think that the taking the plays off thing is real within the league. And I just don't necessarily see it myself because even if you, even if that was true and you said, okay, in the league, you only play 75% of snaps and he's only kind of a, a pass first player, then great. He's got to get off and go like few other people mm. walking the earth. So I, it just yeah. wouldn't be that big a deal to me. The Von Miller thing was interesting, wasn't it? Because it's was like, yeah, Von wears glasses and he raises chickens, but he also reads Cormac McCarthy and listens to Shostakovich. What's going on here? <laughs> but it didn't seem to be to- as toxic or as kind of aggressive as it as it feels with with Thibodeau. So um, and it, uh, I don't know. It, it feels like he's gone into a meeting somewhere with a team or a couple of teams, said something piss them off a little bit and that's been fed back to the media and there's that sort of narrative that begins to build like a runaway train that's really difficult to stop that he is this and it'll only really stop once he gets to the nfl and ends up like alden smith and records like 19 sacks as a rookie and wins defensive rookie of the year so where do you think he goes because i'm looking at the order right now and i see detroit and i get what you're saying it would not shock me if they went it to the houston one is the funniest one because no one loves intangibles more than the team with the worst roster in the league and they should be charging to the podium if he is there at three because whether he hits that upside he's the type of guy where that the high end is so high the high end is von miller right and the floor is we tried it he's basically arden key which is a pass rushing yeah. specialist some years get your four sacks some years not maybe one year he pops and gets nine or eleven that is someone I run to the podium if I'm them at three with how terrible their roster is. The Jets, the same thing. I know they're deeper at defensive line, but Salah will, will never have too many guys and he can do some creative things with him off the edge. Then you get the Giants twice. You've got the Panthers. I mean, if he got past Atlanta, and it kind of brings me on to the other question I had for you. If you're one of these contenders looking down here, Minnesota fringe playoff contender in a shitty NFC, Baltimore at 14. If he's there at seven for the Giants' second pick, I mean, you have to try and get up there, I think, if you're one of the contenders. The only thing that scares me off now is, is the price set for this draft by this wonky trade the Saints made yesterday? Or does everyone else have their own price? I think the Ravens is a really interesting, because if he gets that's the number seven, I think the Ravens jumping 14 to seven. It's not too far for the Giants to go down either, is it? You can still, you know, you can still probably get, whatever the giants want that there is that there is good value in, in in their needs at 14 as there is at seven plus you're going to you know potentially you get into the you know would the ravens give up a, a one next year which puts the which puts the giants you know in the in the quarterback race alongside the eagles and the dolphins next year in terms of having two first round picks the Chargers are an, I, know, I mean i know they've you know the Chargers is an interesting one as well i know they've loaded up on defense um in free agency but that's an interesting one to me as well at 17 you know i i think he could go at two it wouldn't surprise me if uh if the walker kid from georgia goes at two i agree with you about houston um but there are like the houston thing interests me all the laramie tunsil talk i know that he's staying for this season but it doesn't feel like that's a long-term marriage 
Um, and does, does Thibodeau strike you as a Nick Casario guy? No. It strikes me as them being the team that's leaking about him, frankly, because yeah. they're being well, run by a pastor who only cares yeah. about intangibles. Yeah. So because Evan uh, Evan Neal strikes me as the as the fit there in terms of, you know, Saban is going to obviously be talking to Casario because they know each other, and I kind of feel like that's a a fit. You know, like you say, Robert Salah and the, you know the Jets have got two shots at him potentially in the top ten. I can't believe that Robert Salah would pass over both of them. No, and that's, that comes down to, to fit versus want and need too, because the Jets, you can make arguments for, oh, go get you know a linebacker with the second one. They certainly need someone in the secondary. Would they just gamble on Stingley and not care about the list rank injury? But if I'm them and, and he's there, it's just stacking talent on top of talent in the defensive line room as best you can. I mean, the way Salah's always worked is it's really generic on the back end. And all I do is send four dominant players up front. It's not a, you know, it's not a, a crazy recipe and, and he would just fit that brand so well. The other one is Seattle because he looks, you know, physically and in terms of the get off, there's a, there's a lot of Bruce Irving there. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah, and they're that, completely redefining their their defensive structure. They? Essentially, they're they're moving to four down, two deep. And if you want to, if you're playing four down, you have to have someone with an elite get off of whilst you exactly. are toast. Now that's where you do run into the problem, I think, with him. And again, this is where you have to be in the room with them because I don't think I see on tape as much as some people are suggesting that taking off plays. I think that I watched him against Oregon State and he was out of his mind. There's a lot where he is running the loop kind of unnecessarily and you see him chugging. And I think that's more of a fitness problem necessarily than just like he can't really be asked. Um, and again, the tempo they were playing at was just different to other people. But if that is a, uh, if that's an assessment you make as a staff, you kind of have to then play early down in a five-man front and get him one-on-one on every play because he's not going to play clean in an even front against the run, which would take Seattle out of it if that's their assessment. But still, if I'm them, just go get a premium player. And I know Mm. this class, you know, you can make a case from all of them, right, down to 24, that you kind of like Garrett Wilson quite a lot. (laughs) It's not that far from Aiden Hutchinson to get you to a Devin Lloyd, Kyle Hamilton, obviously. So I get it's really tight, but I do think that he is one of the few players, if you just said who has A-plus skills at premium positions right now, you are really limiting yourself. There's none of the quarterbacks. We've got three left tackles. Hopefully one could could play right. One may have to move inside and Evan Neal. We've got Stingley and he's got the foot injury. We've got Kyle Hamilton. Do you consider free safety premier position in, in the modern NFL? And then you got Thibodeau and Hutchinson. And does Hutchinson have an A-plus get off? No. Did he convert speed to power? Pretty well. He doesn't beat people clean. He's more of an effort guy, which I'm totally fine with taking the first overall pick. Cool with that. Great culture setter, I think, when you have a pass rusher like that. And then the other one is Kayvon Thibodeau. So if you're not taking Hamilton, you got to be taking Thibodeau. I mean, I I just, I would, I have him second overall in the class. I would be doing anything I could if I was a team to take him or to to get up there to go get him. Look at those difference makers on the Seahawks defense in terms of historically. You know, Bobby Wagner has gone this this summer. KJ Wright gone. Earl Thomas gone. Um, Cam Chancellor gone. Michael Bennett gone. You you look at the difference makers now on that on that defense, and you know, Jamal Adams is an interesting player that we could get into at, at some point in terms of. You know, Quandre Diggs is a good player, but there are not those. You, know, you look up front. Obviously, they got Shelby Harris in the trade. Daryl Taylor looks like he's, you know, could develop into a really nice player, but it's LJ Collier hasn't really trained on necessarily. And you think you add Thibodeau into that mix, you know, they brought in a Chenna Nuosu, 
you know, Jordan Brooks is a, you know, makes a lot of tackles. Obviously, that defensive line really struggled last year in terms of, you know, Wagner and Brooks racked up huge amounts of tackles. I'm not sold it was necessarily reflective of their overall play. But you can bring in a Thibodeau into that system. And all of a sudden, that just changes the complexion of that of that unit completely. Somebody that could, has just got great get off can get to the quarterback and can just make things, you know, really difficult for for offensive coordinators to have to scheme for him on every single passing down. You can't go into a season as a defense where your best single player is your free safety unless your free safety is going first ballot Hall of Fame, right? Yeah. Maybe because yeah. Devin McCourty had some season where he was pretty special, but then the, all the Patriots other players were all B-plus players in, in those years when they beat the Seahawks and what have you, that you can make some sense of that. But unless it's all Thomas, your best player cannot be your free safety because he ain't impacting the ball within three seconds of the play. They have no one, you go through their roster, no one who impacts the line of scrimmage within two seconds right. of the play. And all Kayvon Thibodeau does, either he's winning or he's losing. At least you know it's going to be done in two seconds. You know, yeah. he's not going to fight through the block, but he's either winning or losing. And, and if anyone needs some kind of defensive playmaker, it, it is them. I just, the, the, the system fit is a bit questionable, but he's the sort of guy if I'm them where I say, okay, we want to redefine ourselves. We're not doing the cover three, max three stuff that made us famous. So that's cool. That's a great grand plan. And they did this last year. They completely transformed their defense last year. For the most part, they became a moving defense. They'd never been that before. It was pretty much a disaster. They didn't know how to coach it. I, I get the one and I like that, but I'd say, okay, let's just go get a premier player somewhere, you know, and then we'll build around that, shall we? So if it's that we take Thibodeau and we got to play more five-man fronts, then we'll play more five-man fronts. If it's that we take someone else, if we take Devin Lloyd because we love linebackers, then we'll, we'll, you know, we maybe will default back to some of the Bobby Wagner type stuff we were doing in the past. If I'm them, I am not building someone into my system. I'm taking the best player there and then just figuring the system out. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think it's um, it, it's going to be one of the most interesting things to watch on, on draft night in terms of, you know, what happens to him. And because if he does start to tumble, you know what's going to happen. It's going to be like, you know, a bit like Laramie Tunsil a few years ago. <laughs> yeah. and kind of the, what's going to happen? I know there'll be no bong photo or whatever, but there'll be, um, you know, it will be fascinating to see where he goes because that will be the drama of the early part of the night if he, if he does begin to tumble. I agree. The last thing I wanted to get to, and we'll just touch on this quickly because we can return to it, is just this pass rushing class in general. The theme of our magazine that's coming out for the draft is about the pass rushes. I've got 10 pure edge rushes in the top 75 right now. How many do you think will wind up going in the first round? So I would say, I'm just looking through. So I've got Hutchinson 1, Trayvon Walker 2, Jermaine Johnson 3. You're going to hate me for this. Kayvon Thibodeau 4. Um, Kyle Aftis five. Um, I really, I love, and I know he's a, he's a slightly different player because he's really a stand-up outside linebacker in that sort of slanted 34 front. Nick Benito to me is just a, a tremendous player. Um, I think he's got the fastest first step in the draft. I know he's a bit of a tweener, but I I, I just love what he does. Um, Ebby Katie of, uh, of Penn State. Obviously, David Ajabo is kind of the X factor because... Mm-hmm. You know, you'd have him middle of the first round at probably worst um, pre the Achilles tear, um, which happened on the on his pro day. Obviously, there's you know some fairly significant concerns about his ability to play the run, um, and then you go down. There are some off field concerns with Sam Williams, for example. But mm-hmm. Sam Williams is a is a really good player. You know, you look at what Sam Williams did to Charles Cross, um, who I have as, as the number one tackle. Um, you know, there, like I said, there's some off field. Issues you go down, you've got my Jay Sanders at Cincinnati, and then you're getting into guys, you know, 
the, the Thomas, the Thomases that Cameron Thomas at San Diego State, Isaiah Thomas at Oklahoma. Um, I think I'm with you. I think there's a, a, a significant amount, and I haven't done a top hundred yet, but I think there's a significant amount of defensive linemen and, and, and edge guys that go in that in, in that top hundred. And I think I think you could see five or six going in the first round. I don't think there's a any doubt about that. I agree. I think right now the number I'd say is seven, but I would not be stunned by nine. The The only thing throwing it out there is the fact that I do think two QBs are going to go earlier than we think. And then who yeah. knows what happens then with the third one of a Desmond Ritter or what have you. You know, Detroit takes him with the 32nd pick just to get that fifth year option on the rookie deal. The other thing I'm looking at is that the big kind of overriding of this class thing, right, is being great line play. And then we've got all these receivers and there's 12 receivers and you hear everyone say, I've got 14 receivers in my top 100. I've got 25 receivers in my top 100. (laughs) And I do wonder where GMs will be in that latter portion, right? Let's you cut it from where's New England that they're 21st, right? So you go through, just rip through playoff teams. How many of those teams look at themselves and say, you know, we could go and take Olave or whoever's down there. Let's gamble on Christian Watson. The upside is through the roof. Could be Jerry Rice, could be nobody, right? Could be Aaron Dobson. We don't know, but let's just take the gamble and give him to Aaron Rodgers. How many say that with the receiver court or say, let's just see where that thing's at on day two because that thing is loaded and let's go take a Drake Jackson, just bet on third yeah. down pass rush because we need pass rush. Let's go take, as you mentioned, Cameron Thomas. I love Cameron Thomas. I, no, I don't know where he plays. I'm not even sure it matters. I think you throw him out there. You say, go crush someone in the face. He says, yes, sir. And he goes and crushes someone in the face. Um, you, watch he, him, you, play, you watch him play as almost like a virtual nose tackle at points and he's yeah. anchoring and holding the point. <laughs> and you're just like... What, what am I watching here? You're 267 pounds. What are you <laughs> doing? It's just ridiculous. I mean, you, I didn't even mention him, and I, I'm not a particularly big fan of him, but Boye Maffe is another yep. guy that you know is on the rise. Um, the Minnesota edge at, at 6'4", 261. Um, He's know, going in that maybe, first round. That, that's got yeah. KC written all over it. Like, let's swing for the fences because we need yeah. pass rush in January. You know, Drake Jackson, you mentioned, is another one. You just think, you know, I, I don't think he ends up there now. And I, I wasn't too impressed with him at the um, um, at the senior bowl. But Kingsley Enigbare is another guy, you know, that'll probably end up going in somewhere on day two. Josh Pascal, you know, you get on the list and you're like, you know, I came away, I came away from the senior bowl practices looking at guys like Jesse Lucator and, and Dominique Robinson of Miami of Ohio thinking you guys are really good and somebody's going to get an absolute <laughs> bargain somewhere on day on day two with you guys so yeah I think uh, when all said and done and just go back to my list when all said and done I, I would not be surprised I mean I think absolute locks in round one obviously Hutchinson obviously Trayvon Walker obviously Jermaine Johnson who I absolutely love obviously Thibodeau uh, obviously Carl Aftis I think um I would say that it wouldn't surprise me if somebody in the back part of one took Ebikati. I just kind of, you know, you sense that that's kind of he's in that area. Ajabo, we talked about as an, as a potential X factor, as um, Boye Mafe is somebody else that we've discussed, um, and then Drake Jackson. You know, somebody who's got. I mean, I don't kind of think he's sort of matched up to the the hype of what he couldn't be, it could have no. become. But he's long, he's urgent, he's got a great burst, he's got a solid array of rush moves. He's somebody, you know, developmental guy that you can plug in on on obvious passing downs. It wouldn't surprise me if, if he falls in the back end of round one. So I think, like you say, I think you're looking at a minimum six and maybe, maybe nine, you know, maybe even 10, which would be astonishing. But 
it wouldn't be beyond the realms of possibility. I really think Jackson's going to sneak in there just because he swoops in a way a lot of them don't swoop. And he's got that weird thing where like they made him cut weight at USC and he became like yeah. emaciated in the final year. It was so bizarre when he's like 6'4 and looks like a complete freakazoid. And some team like Tennessee is going to say, okay, we get you on the bench pressing preseason and people are going to come into week one going, why do you not go in the top 15 picks yeah. with that with that frame and that get off? So I I can see that. I think it really is going to be on draft night and we'll know within the first 10 picks, is it a run on receivers? Cause this receiver class is so talented or do they all say it's so talented. So let's ditch that for now. Go get ourselves a third down guy for the playoffs. These, these, these teams in the latter half of the first round yeah. and we'll, we'll work background for one of the receivers later on. Cause we reckon we can move up, back up in the second round for sky more. If he wasn't there in the first round or something like yeah. that. But you look again at receivers, you got, you got London, George Pickens, Alave, Jameson Williams uh, again injury, but probably will go in the first round. Burks, you know, there are. I mean, I really like Burks, but you know, I think the people. I mean, I don't know what people were expecting in terms of his forty time. I never thought he was going to run like a four three at whatever he was two hundred and twenty five pounds or something ridiculous. You got Jahan Dotson, Wilson, you know, Mechie, David Bell. Wandell Robinson, Skymore, Christian Watson. You know, the guy, you know, people talking about Christian Watson and Skymore ending up in in the first round. And I'm not saying that David Bell and Wandell Robinson are necessarily going to do that and because they're not, but you know, you go down the list and you're looking at okay, if we if we are into day two, Skymore, your Alex Pierce's, Khalil Shakir, who I was really impressed with the kid out of Boise at, at um at the senior bowl, Jalen Tolbert, who I don't love, the South Alabama kid, but I know, you know, teams that do. And then, you know, even you go down to like Romeo Dubs and Danny Gray at SMU. And I mean, how many receivers do you think can go in the first, you know, first three rounds? Because I think there'll be a significant. All round. those guys. Yeah. yeah all those guys. Yeah. 100%. And then, you know, there's still what, you know, teams are going to have higher than, some teams are going to have higher grades on a Trey Turner or a, you know, where, where does Justin Ross end up going? You know, I, yeah. I have a lower grade on Justin Ross, but there are going to be teams that think, oh, actually, you know, Bo Melton. At, I mean, I mean, every single pass that seemed to go Bo Melton's way for the first few days at the Senior Bowl seemed to clang off his hands. But, you know, there are teams talking about Bo Melton as a sort of early day three, maybe even squeaking to, to the back end of of the second day. And yeah, it's um, it's such a stacked class. The other guy I'd tag on that, I'm not sure if you mentioned him in there, was Kyle Phillips from UCLA because yeah. you are going to get a team who looks yeah. at him and they just see in their mind, they go, oh, we could use him like Cooper Cub. You know, he, exactly. he, when, when they're running triple option with Chip Kelly there, he's the lead fullback. He plays in the slot. And he's, his only job is to dig out linebackers. It's all the grunt work that Dan Campbell's going to love. Dan Campbell will probably has Kyle Phillips second overall on his board behind Aiden Hutchinson, I would imagine, because <laughs> he's like, get me that receiver who punches linebackers in the face. I want him. Yeah. And he's shifty too in space, you know. He is. He, he's tailor built for one of these McVeigh style offenses that everyone's running now. And you're going to get people going, ah, we can find track speed in the seventh round. Justin Ross, medical concerns could go down there. Go get me Kyle Phillips in the second round because that guy's a player. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're going to, like, I'm just looking at the, I'm just going down. I mean, the list of those just ridiculous. You know, yeah, Mackay Polk, who had one, you know, great year at Mississippi State but you know he's a guy that runs a four five seven but just knows how to get open understands spacing understands how to get open in a zone he's got good hand like really good hands you know goes up and wins at the catch point you know he lacks that sort of speed and separation ability be attack zone he's got a great football IQ you know somebody's gonna I, I saw Matt Miller talking about him as you know teams have told him that 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 Makai Polk was going to end up in on day two so it's um you know, Velas Jones Jr., the kid at Tennessee, the return kid at Tennessee, he was at USC. 
I mean, Jim Nagy, I know that Jim tends to bang the drum of guys that are at the senior bowl, but, you know, I mean, the way that Jim was talking about it, Felix Jones is going to go in like late one. It's just well, like, these guys here? have to, too, because it's such a lopsided draft where the edge rushes are great. The interior defensive line, you've got the one dominant guy in Jordan Davis. You've got Wyatt and you've got Jones. And those guys, are just those are pass rushes, right? Those are get off and go. One guy yeah. pass rushes. You may as well lump them in with all the lads we mentioned before. The tight end room stinks. No one wants to admit it. They're all horrible. All right, we can all admit that they do some really cool creative things, but they're all one dimensional, basically. So you'd rather go and take Christian Watson, the receiver, and say, well, I'd rather have him than spending a second round pick just because I want a tight end. And let's all go spread for the next five years. Mm-hmm. Right. That's that's what this yeah. draft is going to do. This draft is going to completely redefine like the sub package of the NFL because it's going to be pure edge rushes and pure receivers. And you're going to have to, to to kind of change the dynamics of how you set up. And defensive backs as well, because I think there's some really good corners in this draft as well. Calvin Austin's another guy that, you know, like gadget player at 5'7", 173, that people are going to, you know, you feel like he's probably going to end up going on day two as well, because it, I, I thought he was really good at the senior bowl. He's kind of, um, you know, that expansive offense is just getting the ball in guys like that's hands. And, and I think what you're going to find, and, it's going it, to, it feels like it's been happening anyway, but I think what you're going to find over the next few years is just, you know, defensive backs just becoming, you know, guys that were, you know, you look, you, you kind of talk about why there's no great heavyweight boxers and become, a, because a lot of kids have just gone on to become either, you know, play in the NBA or become tight ends or defensive ends or whatever. And I think you're going to probably see the fact that with so many receivers coming into the draft, it's going to have to be that kind of run on corners. I think you're going to, I think it's a deep, I don't know what you think about the corner class this year, but I really like it. I think it's a, you know, again, you go down the list of, you know, whether that's right at the top with, um, with, you know, the Gore, Kyler Gordon and Sauce Gardner and, uh, and Andrew Booth, but you go down, you know, obviously Stingley. I, I, I'm a big fan of Roger McCreary. I think he's a really good player. I watch him up close at the senior ball. It's just like his hits were just like so smooth. You know, McDuffie, we talked about earlier on, Elam, the kid at Florida, Jalen Armour Davis at Alabama is just like a kid where you think your upside is absolutely massive. You played one year and you could be absolutely anything. You look at what he was like in the you know first couple of games of the season, you go towards the back end of the season before he got injured, and you're like, you are really, really good. So, you know, again, you just go down the list and you think corners are gonna, there's gonna be a big run on corners at some point as well. Yeah, and then the safety class is similar, right? Where they, yeah. they have so many guys now who they do everything. It's right. I mean, yeah. Kyle Hamilton plays middle of the field safety. He's 6'4". I know. Where did he, where did he, he grow him? He is ridiculous. Yeah. And like, it feels a little bit like, so he ran, what, what? He ran a 4.59 at the combine, right? Yeah. And then and, ran and a 4.30. A, a 5.30 bazillion is pro day. <laughs> but like, everybody like, oh, you know, Kyle Hamilton's really slow. Maybe he's not really. It's like, what are you watching? He already ran a 4.59, but just put the tape on. Like, just literally just put the tape on. Because it's, yeah, I mean, but then the you look be- at like... The beauty of what that- we're getting to with the safety classes. So we went through that room where it was like, are these guys linebackers or are they safeties? And we were trying to change the body type there. And now we've returned to kind of, they're just as fast as a yeah. free safety. Lewis Sign, Jalen Petrie, Jaquan Brisker, but they're chaos agents. They want yeah. to fly to the ball. So we've got someone in an Earl Thomas package hitting like Cam Chancellor again. And yeah. there's, there's like four of them who will all go first, early, second yeah. round. There's the kid out of Nebraska, Jojo Doman. You're like, are you a linebacker? Are you a safety? You've played both. You're like 227 or whatever, but you run a 4-5-2. You're really good in coverage. It, 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 I mean, yeah, it's it's fascinating. You go down, like you just mentioned the guys, you know, Brisker and, you know, Daxton Hill. I mean, Hill is such a good player. He's like, a, you know, that kind of Mr. Versatile. He, you know, runs the alley. Can, you know, he's Devin McCourty for 2022, as far as I'm concerned. He's a, you know... A fabulous player. Signs a great player. 
Kirby Joseph at Illinois had usually had six picks last seven picks last year. Brian Cook at Cincinnati. I think he's going to go on day day two. Do you know what I mean? It's just like there are. It's a. It's a I think it's a really good and an underrated secondary class. All right, then we'll leave the podcast there for now. Si and I could go for literally 10,000 hours, as we will do. And the run-up to the draft, that was a nice little preview. And you can go and get, obviously, the preview magazine for the draft from next week online, in shops, subscribe. You can have it sent to, sent to your, your house, your flat, wherever you live, under a bridge. Wherever you need it sent, we will we will make sure it gets there. And you can read Si's piece on Cave on Thibodeau in there. Si's was fun. Thanks for doing this. No worries. Enjoy it.